0: You uh, recognize that music, some of you. Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Please won't you be? That's, uh, of course, the theme music from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, a show uh, back in the 60s. And, you know, um, started in the 60s, Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. Rather proud of that. Um, Began in the 1960s, four months after the assassination of Dr. King. In 1968, uh, Mr. Rogers, who's white... Uh, introduce his audience to a man named Francois Clemens, who's black. Uh, Mr. Rogers asked Mr. Clemens to play a police officer on the show. Clemens resisted. His neighborhood growing up was Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, to him, police officers meant police dogs and fire hoses. It just didn't seem right. But Mr. Rogers prevailed, and uh, Mr. Clemens agreed to be on the show. And here's a picture of them. Uh, sitting outside of the house in the neighborhood. And just a few months later, the two men would sit side by side with their bare feet in a plastic pool of water. At the time, neighborhood pools were flashpoints of racism. But here they were, brown feet and white feet, together in the same water. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught his followers to wash one another's feet, and here they were. You see, what made Mr. Rogers so special uh, wasn't just that he had a neighborhood, it was that he had a life that was shaped by the gospel. Our theme this Lent is next door, joining Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people. Last week, I asked you to identify your primary neighborhood. When we say neighborhood, what we mean is people with a natural connection. And that connection might be location, like uh, part of Redmond, or it might be an association like your fraternity, or it might be a life stage like retirees, or it uh, might even be an interest like zombie fitness. You, uh, Jennifer, your primary neighborhood <laughs> will probably be uh, the people where you live or study or work or play, uh, or they'll be the people that you care most about outside of your family, or the people that you want to care for at this point in your life. Did you think about yours? I hope so. Okay, good. Uh, Keep doing that. Uh, We're working on a way that we can share this with one another and encourage each other by the neighborhoods uh, in which we live. But uh, here's the question for today. The question is, what are we supposed to be doing in our neighborhoods? You know, we're there already, but what's God doing? Uh, What should we be doing if we want to join in the work of Jesus Christ? Well, the Apostle Paul's got an idea. You won't be surprised. So let's pull out our Bible and look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. If you're turning in the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 940. And if you're able, let's stand together and read God's word aloud together as an act of worship. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew, who knew no sin so that He in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. So here's Jesus again, the reconciler of it all. Again, a remarkable claim here in verse 21. Let me read it again. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And That's another mind bender, isn't it? Let's just take a moment to take that in. For our sake, God, made Jesus, his son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. John tells us, John, the apostle, last week we studied him, in Jesus, the son of God moved into our humanity. But now, St. Paul, another apostle, tells us that the Son of God moved into our fallen humanity, into sin. Why? What's he doing? Well, Paul tells us in verse 18, he's reconciling us to God. Remember, when we say reconcile, we mean overcome what disconnects us, which for Paul is sin. He calls it our trespasses in verse 19. We've uh, crossed a line, trespassed. But look what God has done. He has crossed the same line to pursue us. He became sin in pursuit. Now, let's be careful here. He's not saying that Jesus started sinning. No, never. Paul's clear. He knew no sin. What does he mean then? He means Jesus stood before God, his father, in the place of a sinner. This is about status, not behavior. Are you following? Because here's what really matters. If in verse 21 it's not about behavior for Jesus in the first half of the verse, then it's not about behavior for us in the second half of the verse. Did you get that? Paul's not saying this reconciliation happened because we started acting righteously. No, not at all. We didn't. We haven't. We can't. This is not about behavior. It's about status. This reconciliation happened because the Son of God has taken the status of a sinner so that before God, his Father, we can have the status of righteousness. It's a trade. He took our place so we can take his place for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God it's the great exchange did you get that if this doesn't sound wrong to you you're not getting it I mean this is the ultimate admission scandal right <clears throat> you didn't get in on your own merits you got in on his He paid the fee. He passed the test. He built the transcript. He totally deserves to get in. But wait, he's going where you should be going, and he's taking you up to stand before God with his resume. That's Jesus. He's taking people in who have no right to be in. And you know what? When people understand that, it makes them really angry. Think of how angry those students are, the ones that got in. They're saying, hey, I busted my tail to get into this place. You have no right. Or the ones that didn't get in. They're suing for $500 billion. They took my spot, and I've done the work. You know who hated Jesus the most? Not the bad guys. The good guys. Right? The religious guys. Here you are hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, drunks, like they're in. (laughs) And we're over here busting our tails. We're getting in this deal on our own. We've been working on our transcripts all of our lives. It sucks, but we are paying the price of admission. These sinners had better get with the program and get in line. That's what they said, the scribes and the Pharisees. It's my loose translation. Look, you transgressed. Your sin has put you irretrievably across a line. But God became a fallen human to pursue you, to overcome what disconnects you. He's taken a hold of who you are and held on through the birth canal, through temptation and hunger, through the violence and shame of life in a broken world, through the cross, abandonment, death, and through hell itself, all the way through. He held on to our sinful nature all the way up to the chest of the Father, And he holds on right now in a status of eternal righteousness. The moment you say yes to him, you are in, my friend, forever. You are in. That's reconciliation. That's what Jesus is doing in our neighborhoods. And that's what he sends us to do in ours. Reconciliation. Your neighbor needs it, your neighborhood needs it. Our world has never been as disconnected or as dangerous as it is now. Recently I was sitting at a meal next to Olivia and she told me about Nia, uh, not their real names. Olivia and Nia are in my neighborhood and they're neighbors. Live right next door to each other. Olivia leans over to my ear and she says, you know we talk about neighbors, but I'm not talking to my neighbor. Right next door, Nia. Not a word in over a year. We go out of our way to avoid one another. Apparently Nia and Olivia had a conflict, something small, but now the disconnect is huge. I thought about that and about how common that is. There are fault lines in every neighborhood just below the surface. Maybe it's about the noise, or trees, or the fence, or pets, or parking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's about who got invited, or who didn't, or who was, or who doesn't, who has what, or who doesn't have what. But somewhere along the way, someone crossed a line, someone trespassed, to use Paul's word. Your neighborhood represents a natural connection, but it's crisscrossed with disconnections. Social, economic, racial, divisions of all kinds, inside and out. And sometimes they're massive and deeply destructive. There's a website now called the Opportunity Atlas. Opportunity Atlas, you might find it interesting. It will tell you about the exact tract of land that you live on and the outcomes for children in that neighborhood. And then it will compare it to others. For example, from one neighborhood, 44% of the men from a certain race and income level uh, were incarcerated in 2010. 44% of the men. But if you just move 2.3 miles, that drops to 6.2%. It's a different neighborhood. In Seattle, we have a history of discrimination, and it's divided our neighborhoods, our history of restricted deeds, covenants, and redlining, Restricted ethnic minorities to undesirable and underserved neighborhoods runs all the way through 1968. And it's baked into our property values and into our opportunities today. Rent, equity, schools, services, what's there, what's not, what works for some and not for others, neighborhood disconnections. Your neighborhood needs reconciliation. It needs Jesus. It needs you. But how? How can we be agents of reconciliation? Well, for starters, we need gospel-shaped lives. And that's Paul's point, isn't it? He summarizes the gospel twice in this text, in verses 18 and then verse 19. He says, the gospel is the good news that God has reconciled the world to himself in Jesus Christ. The subject is God. The subject of that sentence is God, not us. The object in that sentence is the world, all of it. And the primary agent is Jesus Christ. Not you, not me, Jesus. He's the one who overcomes what disconnects us. But when we talk about a gospel-shaped life, we're really talking about discipleship. We're talking about the lifelong process of moving the gospel to the center of our lives and moving from unbelief to belief in every area of our lives. So often you and I say yes to Jesus, and then we just keep building our religious resume, trying to climb up some moral ladder of dogmas and virtues, hoping to get somewhere. But that's not the good news, that's the Pharisees' game. It doesn't overcome anything. In fact, it builds barriers. And the gospel doesn't call us to climb up. It calls us to climb in, climb into Christ. See? The gospel undermines our self-righteousness. It forges empathy and grace. It equips us for reconciliation the way Jesus did it. A gospel-shaped life is a life that has experienced deep reconciliation in Jesus and is therefore eager to join Jesus in acts of reconciliation for others, to join him next door. So let's take a few minutes to talk about our new vision. I'm excited. Uh, First, our mission statement. Now, The purpose of our mission statement isn't to change who we are. It's to help us become more of who we've always been as a church. Every member will still be a minister. We'll still be sharing hope in Jesus Christ. But as the culture changes, our elders wanted a clear, concise articulation of who we are and what we are supposed to be doing. Our mission statement is not about branding or marketing. It's not meant to be sticky. It's meant to guide decision-making. It's about good stewardship. It's about pulling us together and keeping the main thing the main thing. So here it is. Let me put it on the screen. You don't need to write it down. We're going to send it to you tomorrow. We are a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of neighbors at the University of Washington, in our neighborhoods, and all around the world. Now, we're not gonna take the time to unpack that now, but you've already noticed some familiar UPC themes. Family, transformation, UW, neighborhoods, the world. And then we have a set of values. Uh, For us, values are shared convictions that guide our actions and reveal our strengths. You might think of riverbanks through which everything flows. You know, all, all rivers have water. It's not the water that distinguishes one river from the next. It's the river banks. The Nile, the Danube, the Mississippi, they're all the same stuff water. But what distinguishes them is the topography of the river banks themselves. You see, some things are true of all churches, but our values define the river banks for us. And we have five of them. Uh, the first one is gospel shaped lives. This is why we're beginning here today. This is our conviction about discipleship. The good news of Jesus transforms us as disciples of Jesus. Our second value is living as family. This is our conviction about community. We're here, uh, we, we share life together in circles of community, it's relational in circles of community, living as family. Our third is sent for others. This is our conviction about mission. We're here for the sake of people beyond ourselves. Not for ourselves, but for them. Number four, growing with students. This is our conviction about learning together in every generation, from the youngest to the oldest. We're really a curious culture, aren't we, here? Uh, We're a church for thoughtful people. We grow as students, all of us, together with students. And then finally, global culture. This is our conviction about diversity. We open our lives to the world on our doorstep. Gospel-shaped lives, living as family, sent for others, growing with students, and global culture. Five values. Let's take one more look at our mission statement. We are a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of neighbors at the University of Washington, in our neighborhoods, and all around the world. So what do you think? Okay, that's a very Presbyterian response. It's like... (laughs) Yes, we say, indeed. I love the dignity of that. Indeed, that's very dignified. Good, good. Amen. There it is. Can you see how Jesus has led us here? I told you this last week, but I I love this. When Bob Munger came to be a pastor in 1962, he told us that our lives were a house with a sermon called, My Heart, Christ's Home. It's just Jesus is knocking at the door. Of our lives, And then in 1980, Bruce Larson came and told us that we're this great family in that house cheering one another from the balcony. And then in 1991, Earl Palmer returned and taught us about the owner of the house and the warmth of his good news. He said, I know a house that takes me in to send me out. And now the house is sending us out, sending us next door. Do you see it? The reconciler of it all has called us to join his mission of reconciliation. Because if you think of it, you've got an Olivia and a Nia in your neighborhood as well, don't you? And now you are God's appointed agent of reconciliation for them. Paul couldn't be clearer. It's there in verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us, italics mind. Through us. That's how he's making his appeal today, through you. Isn't that exciting? So this week, there are two parts to our homework. Uh, there's soul work and book work. Here's where you can write a little bit if you want. Here's your soul work, It's your homework. Uh, confess trespasses. Let's do that together, confess trespasses. It's just take some time this week at some point, maybe in your devotions, Uh, and and take a line from the Lord's Prayer and pray it for yourself and for your neighborhood. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Think as you do and, and pray about some of the things that disconnect your primary neighborhood. And then thank Jesus for his reconciliation and ask him what it might look like for you to become an agent of reconciliation in those places of disconnection. And then the book homework, and uh, this one's easier. I want you to read and pray through our new vision book. It has pictures. Um, tomorrow I'll send you a copy, so I need your email address. If you get the connector, you don't need to do anything except check your email tomorrow. Uh, if you don't get it, or you'd like to update your email or make sure, um, I just, I'd like you to go to our webpage upc.org, scroll down to the bottom to the words UPCE News and put your email in the box there. We'll take care of the rest. If you don't use email, don't worry. We'll get a print version uh, to you next week. After his career on the show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Francois Clemens, the officer, moved to Vermont. And someone asked him, why would a gay Grammy Award-winning African-American move to one of America's whitest states? You know what his answer was? It needs me the most. It needs me the most. I wonder where that came from. Mr. Clemens had wandered away from the church of his childhood, but towards the end of his life, something was changing. He stopped singing opera and dedicated himself to singing spirituals. He was reconnecting. And you know what the instigation was? You do. It was Fred Rogers. The two men didn't always agree, but they became like family. On the show, Fred used to say, I love you just the way you are. One day after the show, Francois asked, Fred, were you talking to me? Mr. Rogers said, Yes, I've been talking to you for years, and you finally heard me today. Gospel-shaped lives, let's pray. God, let this be the day that we finally hear you. We finally hear you say, I love you just the way you are. Thank you for the work of reconciliation that the Son of God has done on our behalf. Thank you for the awesome privilege of being his agents of reconciliation in our neighborhoods. We do not know where this will lead us, but we know the one leading us, and we are so very grateful. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, renew us, refresh us, and recommission us, we pray in Christ's name, amen.